Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have Godzilla vs. Destroya, starring Takuru Tatsumi, Yoko Ishino, and Yashifumi Hayashi, written by Kazuki Omori and directed by Takeo Okubara. Welcome back to Rice Smile Films. It's time to continue on our little cask of Godzilla films, which started with Godzilla vs. Kong. And now we're, we, last week we tackled the very first one from the Showa era. Now we're tackling the very last one from the Heisei period, which was 84 to 95. The second iteration has always been a favorite of mine, Godzilla vs. Destroya. This is going to be a lot of fun to talk about. This movie's, Matt, this movie's pretty wild. <laughs> I'll just say that myself. This movie has got a lot going on in it, but at the end of the day, it's just, it's kind of a fun, just little monster romp. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You get to that the last 30 minutes, it's, mm-hmm. and then we're all in, and there's the buildings toppling down. Uh, if you're going to sit down and really dissect the science in this, you're going to have yourself quite a, an experiment. <laughs> yeah. That's not really the point, though. Yeah, like no, you not, said. Not, it, the, not the point at all. I mean, I think a lot of these, especially, you know, you're getting into the 20th entry in the franchise. You got to be having fun with it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. It's the same thing with Bond. I, I always feel like this kind of my, my argument is like, you you know, you're in you're in a long gestating franchise. Have some fun with it. You know what I mean? Like, don't exactly. th- don't think too too much into it. But we'll think too much into it because that, will, yeah. that's what we do on this show. <laughs> but uh, to top us off, the Sam Houston, 14 year age. We're gonna finish off this bottle today. This one's been pretty good. Yeah, um, we haven't had any iteration of Sam Houston, um, but yeah, 14 year age in a whiskey cask is it's a pretty significant amount of time. And this one's pretty good. I mean, what 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 are the kind of things you taste when you take a drink of this? I get the real heavy caramel or caramel at the beginning. And then as it moves through the middle palate, I get a little like cinnamon. And in the back, there's kind of a nice rollout with a vanilla. Mm. I don't know if any of that is actually accurate to what the label might say. But this actually, for the complexities that a lot of times I can't detect Mm -hmm. when we do this bourbon breakdown. Yeah, yeah. I actually do taste this. Um, for me, I can get all three pieces in that. What's it like for you? Yeah, I definitely get a lot of that cinnamony. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's definitely got that kind of spicy taste, but it doesn't like linger and like destroy your palate. You're able to really kind of fish around there. 98 proof. Maybe that that's been the lesson for us is once you and I get into the 100 proof, it gets a little, a little hard to kind of figure out what's going on in there. So that's Just the magic like lightning. That's man. the magic number for us to stay under a hundred. Stay under a hundred. <laughs> We're close there. Much Light like weight. Godzilla, we'll be watching the clock on the proof as we watch his temperature rise up in this film. <laughs> well, let's get this party started with our flight question. I can't believe we haven't talked about the that theme of of the film it, it wasn't present in last week's episode and i can't re- recall which film it shows up in but that's called in in the godzilla theme department that's the godzilla march it's just like that 
boom, 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 boom. And like, it almost kind of follows his steps and his movement. It's very powerful. It's very brassy. Timpani bass, right? Really loud. Yeah. yeah. I, I like that. Did you too? Ear, like, ear mis- it, <laughs> unmistakable for his sound. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like you play it like, oh shit, here he comes. Yeah. <laughs> Batting down the hatches. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, I don't have enough of a background knowledge to state this, but I'd be curious. You probably do. Mm-hmm. As the relationship between Godzilla and man has wavered between friend and foe, mm-hmm. I'd be curious to see if the the volume and the terror that goes along with that has changed to when Godzilla has representing his interests that then also represent the best of mankind versus what we saw today. Where yeah, that's a good point. All hell's breaking loose because if that's your hero mm-hmm. and that's the hero's march. Mm-hmm. You might be in trouble. Yeah. That's not a pleasant theme song. Yeah, your your hero's coming to mess some things up. No, yeah, I think that would be good. Like when he is on the the good side, if it's a little toned down or he just has a more melodic theme, that's you're right, that's pretty aggressive. Right. But he is pretty aggressive in this film. It's, yeah. Yeah. Why don't and, you hit and us hot and very hot. Yeah. Why don't you hit us with the flight question this week? As we've gone through this story, we've seen mankind fail most of the time with the exception of Sarazawa and the Godzilla original Japanese version disastrous use of weapon and tank and plane and helicopter and laser and gun and torpedo to mostly no avail it's been a colossal mm-hmm. failure yeah. which is why he's still here in entry 20 yeah so here's what i'm going to give you okay in the legacy of film, okay. you can use anything you want except for the Infinity Gauntlet. Just too easy. Just snap him away. You can pick any weapon that has been introduced in a movie and use it as your special weapon as General Jesse to protect the interests of mankind against the Titan Godzilla. This Excellent. is your final chance. My final chance? Mm-hmm. I hope we don't choose the same one on this. I'm worried we're going to. Though. Are you? We'll see. Yeah, I kind of want you to go first now. Does yours have its derivatives or its origin from an action film from the 1980s? Yes. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, we spend a lot of time together. We have very like minds. (laughs) Maybe we should just do this at the same time, and then we could discuss it and discuss why we chose it. One, two, three. Ark Ark of the Covenant. (laughs) (laughs) That was the first thing that popped in my head because I was like, okay, we've seen the military, like you st- you stated, uh, just fail mightily at uh, trying to bring him down. I mean, guns and tanks and planes can only do so much to this behemoth of a lizard. So I was like, okay, I got to think outside the box. Right. I got to go biblical. That's exactly what I was going to say. Something that's got biblical origins is how I was going to lead this in. Exactly. The gunpowder element is clearly not working. Yeah, we need something spiritual. God dang it. (laughs) No, that's great. I love it. So it's either got to be that or my runner-up would be Medusa's head from Clash of the Titans. Oh, that's pretty good too. But that's the same thing. That's defeating the Kraken, just Godzilla. So that's that's theft. That's pretty good. Doggone it. The Ark of the Covenant, though, is a good weapon. I mean, Hitler in that film is looking for it for a good reason because it's going to bring about the end of mankind. Yep. Uh, But... Yeah, there's something really kind of amazing about the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is as B-movie as it kind of gets at the end where Indy's like, just cover your eyes, it won't affect us. 
the powers that be that come from the Ark, I call them the angels of death, so to speak, just come and lay waste to the Nazis. And one of the best sequences of all time, like the melting faces is amazing. So yeah, you're going to need something like that to bring down a lizard that you can't even use a nuclear weapon against because it's essentially his power source. Right. So you're going to make him stronger. No, you need something from the spiritual realm, uh, whether you're not, whatever you know, realm you believe in, you need something with a little more oomph. God, you almost just said the same word that was in my mind. You almost just said non-secular, didn't mm-hmm, you? Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. Right. So all of the secular endeavors that we've engaged in have either bounced off its scales or just served as the battery to supercharge this ultra, this ultimate weapon. Mm-hmm. The scales or spines that they call them sometimes, I think it's more scales, but the armor that's on Godzilla's back is the absorbing element to yep. this monster's power. Mm-hmm. Every bomb <laughs> we've seen dropped on this poor fellow has just yep. further empowered him. So let's go the non-secular route. So you open it up, close proximity, close your eyes. <laughs> Don't look. Don't look and just let these things do its job, which would maybe visually be a pretty cool sequence of these just angels flying around Godzilla and just like slowly melting him down. Like that could be pretty cool. We do get a meltdown of Godzilla a little bit later in this film we'll talk about. But yeah, watching him go through um, its beautiful mm-hmm. version of, um, tell us that guy's name. Belloc. Belloc. <laughs> watching Godzilla take the path of Belloc on this could be cool. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's a no-brainer this week. That's the a, Ark of the Covenant. That's happened, I don't know, maybe three or four times on, on these answers where we just kind of lock in on, like, the same way of thinking. But no, it has to be. I mean, we can't. We, it's not like we're going to choose a lightsaber. What the hell is that going to do? Clip <laughs> no. clip his toenails? Like, <laughs> right. that's not going to do one, us one bit of good. And nope. I, I didn't try to go, like, vehicle because we've seen vehicles in these films, and they don't do a, a, a darn bit of good. Mm-hmm. You needed something that wasn't, like, a bomb. Uh, and, yeah, no Infinity Gauntlet. Uh even something like summoning Doomsday from Batman versus Superman wouldn't do any good because he's like but a tick compared to Godzilla, so it'll just squash him. Yeah, you have to go biblical. That's the only way out of this, unless you're going to come up with another oxygen destroyer. Yeah. If we can get into that today. Hey, maybe, yeah, take it to, to, to a right nation. Maybe they can come up with some other... Uh, film weapons that can take him down, but I don't know. I feel like we got the best one. That one's pretty good. Kind of think that's an answer to a lot of the problems we might pose in this podcast going forward is if when all else fails, get the Ark of the Covenant. There you go. Yeah, exactly. Right. Excellent. Love your choice. Because it, too. Because it's my choice. <laughs> uh, this is going to be interesting. I actually don't have a lot of uh, clips, audio clips for us. It was kind of hard to find audio clips for this film, maybe because, you know, it's the Japanese import to the American version, which what what we watched. But we're going to sally forth, get our way through this thing, and let's get to our review breakdown of Godzilla versus Destroyer. Gear up. Gear up. What's that? What? Wow, First things first, we just got to get out of the way. So Matt and I watched the dubbed version of this film through TriStar Pictures, not like the Toho release, you know, 
I got this is a horrible dub job on on this film, and it's really I think hard to do a dub job just because you know the original directors and staff involved aren't the ones doing it. I mean, they're doing that on just a soundstage at like TriStar Studios. So mm-hmm. the quality is not going to be there. And like, there's like instances where they're just like way overacted. And I'm like, I don't know if that was the intention, but that voice actor, whoever did that, decided to go that way and kind of makes it almost silly. You know what I mean? Yeah. The dubs come across silly throughout this entire franchise. So it's kind of hard to find the Japanese uh, version with just that natural language. I highly recommend any film. Uh, you try and watch the original source language because, especially these films, it just won't sound as silly. <laughs> the dialogue kind of coming across. Subtitles go with subtitles on this one. Exactly. Yeah, yeah I think that's a good, good uh, way to approach this. I just don't know if that's ever been released over here because I would I would have that version of it, but this is the the best we could have with it. Some of these films, probably you don't really need the dialogue because you can kind of just put the pieces together with the action. Mm-hmm. But this is definitely needing some explanation as it goes forth because there's a lot of moving pieces that we have to kind of put together in the audience's knowledge base to get where we're going. And a lot of it has to do with the use of weaponry and why we're going down the path we are with some of the research that we do. Sure. So... um I don't know. Maybe if it's Godzilla versus the Smog Monster, maybe you don't need. Yeah, you may not need to <laughs> have the dubbing because you can just watch it and figure it out, and you don't really need all the. And maybe that's a bad example, but oh, this a, one you definitely do. That's a pretty good example. Yeah. Let's start out with the titular hero, villain, antihero, whatever he is in this movie, worldwide destructor potentially. Let's talk about how he looks compared to last week, and then compared to Godzilla versus Kong. In Godzilla, the, the the legendary pictures version of Godzilla, I don't know why they've made him so large. You know what I mean? Like, he's so wide. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not fat shaming Godzilla, but I don't know why they decided to, like, just make him so gigantic. Mm-hmm. Like, and maybe he's significantly taller compared to these other ones. And then we couple that with the original version. And obviously, 54, it's a rudimentary suit. Still look pretty good in, the, in that film and the mm-hmm. way that it's, he's shown mostly at night. And then we get this one. And I, this has always been my favorite iteration of the Godzilla character design. I don't know, because he looks scary. They've kind of figured out how to mold a really decent latex suit. And then this version in particular is the meltdown version of Godzilla. He's just glowing red the whole time. I mean, his heart is about to go kaboom. And that's coupled with these glowing red eyes. His spines are red. And even his blue atomic breath is gone. I mean, it's like irradiated at this point. It, that's red, too. Like, he's got a cool look in this one, I think. Yeah, they did a great job with the technical pieces to give the suit the ability to, to showcase that radiation effect. Mm-hmm. I also love that he's smoking. Yeah, he's just like this, like, almost like a volcano. It's like the sulfur yeah. vapors are just emanating from him. The magic number for Meltdown is 1,200 degrees. Mm-hmm. And we pick it up once we start kind of paying attention to his temperature, somewhere around 900. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of, I guess you could say, foes that Godzilla is working against in this film. But what the countdown does regarding his temperature, I guess maybe count up is a more appropriate way to say it. Mm -hmm. Count up. Is it sets the fuse on that bomb and lights it because... This is going to happen. You have a finite amount of time Mm -hmm. in order to accomplish all of these other things to then deal with what's at the end of that fuse, which is meltdown and the end of of mankind. 
the scales on Godzilla's costume mm-hmm. are hugely important in whatever iteration of this film it is, whether that becomes Kong's axe from two weeks ago mm-hmm. or the battery-like element that we talked about at the beginning of the show today or how we saw that in the first version from 1954. Mm-hmm. I love that they stick to that concept. Mm-hmm. They're pulsing. They fade in, they fade out, but they're always a version of red and you get the unstable nature of this creature because the color effects on the scales have an unstable iridescent illuminating or iridescent light that is uh emulating em, em, emulating from them yeah that's probably not the right word but emanating there you go is that glowing a word? is that a word <laughs> no it is yeah that's what's thank you that costume is so great and you know really stuck out to me not the the emanating red radioactive element mm-hmm. how big godzilla's legs are yeah he's got some thighs on him damn yeah He's a large, strong animal. Duh. And I've I've always appreciated just like how slow they kind of treat that process. Like when he moves, like it's a process for mm-hmm. him to get from A to B. But in between A and B, he lays waste to the the, the equation in A and B. Uh, he's just a walking, just you know, destructive force. And showing up in Hong Kong, which is interesting because you know that's Hong Kong, China, and. He, that, that was where they were in Kong versus Godzilla. So this is kind of an interesting, um, you know, it's not Tokyo yet. I mean, he's working his way up to there. And, and that opening credit sequence is pretty great just because, like, he just lays waste. I mean, you're you're not going to be, you know, hard up for kind of action bits in this particular entry of the franchise. I mean, when it comes, it comes in droves. We pick him up with anger right off the bat. Mm-hmm. And we're not, we're not sure why he's destroying this time. Sometimes it's because there's another monster that's hidden there or he's mad at mankind or mankind has pushed his buttons and he's taking out some revenge. We're going to come to find out later that his return from the sea in this glowing state is because he's hungry looking for nuclear energy because that's what's going to feed the process that's going to cause him to melt down. Mm-hmm. So whether he's kicking over buildings or blowing up uh, strip malls or whatever it might be, he's looking for a nuclear source to continue to feed him. And I think that's a really, really great, simple task that an animal would do. Mm-hmm. You can't make Godzilla too smart because he's just not. Yeah. But I want to ask you a question okay. about the suit because this is where this started. When we did the show last week, we talked about three to five minutes and the person in the suit fainted. Mm-hmm. I'm curious with all of the advancements that we see Godzilla at in 1995, how much circuitry and electronics are involved in that? Because two things are going to happen. Number one, the more of that that's in there, it's going to certainly make the suit heavier and weigh down the movements. Mm -hmm. But a lot of Godzilla's actions take place in the water. Yeah. So now we're talking about, for a different version, but as a, a reference point, the same thing that happened to Jaws because a goddamn shark kept breaking down because, you know, it doesn't work good in water. Anything that's electric. <laughs> so we can say B, and there's the naysayers that snicker when you mention Godzilla and roll their eyes. And mostly it has to do, I think, with the dubbing that you talked about. And then mm-hmm. the less developed nature of Japanese studios compared to the American studio system. Although you can argue mm-hmm. With the advanced state of the American studio system, the Godzilla films are probably worse than anything the Japanese films were. Is that a fair statement? <laughs> worse than they've ever been before, yeah. I mean, yeah. So we're better, but we still make a worse film. Yeah. 
Okay, so instead of snickering and being the hater about this, I do think there needs to be an acknowledgement to at least the process mm-hmm. to watching this thing that clearly has some circuitry working in it as it moves through a soundstage that looks like a city that's halfway submerged in water. In water mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Up in from 54 to 95, they've come a long ways in developing the suit, first of all, and then just the process of suitmation and acting through a suit. I mean, like they're kings of it at this point in the series. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you're right. I mean, to be submerged in half a pool of water with all these lights going off and steam coming out. <laughs> yeah, it's weighing you down, but I don't think they had nearly as many of the issues starting out as they do now. I mean, this is like, it's easy for them now. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you're right. They've come up, they come a long way so far, but let's pick up the the story here. <clears throat> I think we, we picked two pretty good films to kind of couple back to back with the original 54 and then, Destroya 95 because we're going to use a lot of the same elements that were established in the previous film which is the big one being the oxygen destroyer so Mm -hmm. the children of Shinkichi Yamani who Shinkichi was the (laughs) it was the island that got destroyed in the last film and he kind of became the surrogate adopted son by Dr. Yamani so his two children have gone into like the field of like Godzilla, so to speak. One's a reporter and is always kind of talking about it. And the other is like, he's like the world's pronounced expert on Godzilla just out of his little like student dorm. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But they make a lot of really great references to that family's past and then bringing Sarazawa back into it because the real conduit of this film is the oxygen destroyer again. How do we stop a Godzilla that's melting down? They decide he's going to a critical state. And if he reaches a certain temperature, it's going to be catastrophic i mean imagine all the nuclear bombs put together going off at once is kind of how much energy he's going to put out when he melts down or explodes Mm -hmm. so as much of a bad idea as it was in the first one they were so hesitant to unleash this oxygen weapon it's the only deterrent that they can turn to to stop him it's and you can't use a bomb on him you can't use this on him uh we don't want him to destroy any more of our city so use something that we can use out there um, and let's see if we can figure that out. Except it died with Sarazawa, but there's a scientist here in this film who's kind of couple uh, experimenting with some of the same concepts. They made this film knowing that this was the last iteration of Godzilla. Mm-hmm. Now, they walked that back at the end pretty significantly, yeah. but we'll get to that. Yeah. What I really appreciated about it is as we move through the story, there's plenty of flashbacks from the original 54 version mm-hmm. that show whether it's dream sequence or memory or um, picture on the mantle. Mm -hmm. The actual black and white footage from that 1954 version and several of the instances that involve Sarazawa Mm -hmm. and the Oxygen Destroyer are literally ripped from the film and put into this one. Mm -hmm. Okay, so number one, that pays homage to the process that began this to got you to where Mm -hmm. you are now. But secondly, I think it rounds out the story in a nice way. Mm -hmm. Dr. Sarazawa, for a one appearance in a 20 film franchise is a hugely important character obviously because mm-hmm. of the because of the oxygen destroyer and the fact that this man is tortured with the knowledge that he has and what he's able to do with it in an Einstein sort of I can't believe I just split the atom what have I done sort mm-hmm. of way mm-hmm. right and being the only one that was ever able to kill him too and so then when he goes mm-hmm. he destroys his notes so that information dies with him 
And as we come back to 1995, and we've decided this is going to be the end of this path with Godzilla, and I know you're going to get into the handing of off to an American studio and where all that goes. I hope you get into that. That's the only way out, is to take the oxygen destroyer, which this doctor has found a use for, which essentially is allowing a more bountiful harvest from the food that is being grown on earth to feed more people, like creating a larger bounty through essentially the same technology. Now, this is where it gets murky. Don't try to say, well, how does that work here? And how does that work? Because that's going to get messy. And in the translation, yeah. And yeah. It, that's a mess. So yeah. don't, but essentially, Sarazawa's terrible weapon has now been used for the betterment of mankind in a growing nature with food. But now it's also going to be need to use to keep mankind from meeting nuclear Holocaust death Mm -hmm. on the hands of this giant glowing lizard. It's also nice. I'm glad we picked this film as well too, is, you know, a lot of Godzilla's foes antagonists, whether it's Anguirus or Mothra or King Ghidorah, uh, well, maybe the smog monsters, but then there's Megalon and Gigan and Jet Jaguar. <laughs> mm. Most of the villains come from like sub some subterranean, hollow earth, dare I say, <laughs> or from space. I mean, they come from prehistoric times. On the very rare instance um, in like the smog monster, Biolante, and now Destroya, these are kind of like man-made created abominations. So in this one, you know, they're Matt and I were trying to figure out what the hell what, what they were doing. They're, they're they're making some new like subway system here in Tokyo and kind of unturning the earth and doing some drilling and whatnot. And uh they kind of, you know, loosen up a lot of soil. You know, there's all these kind of earthquakes that are happening and like what weird things are happening here. So this scientist, I don't know his name, I'll look it up here in a second, mm-hmm. is like, oh, I'm gonna do some testing of the soil in and around this area, kind of see what what's going on here see what the effects of this oxygen destroyer were, what you're asking me to build a weapon now. And he's like, well, I think it might have already worked, so to speak. So stay with me here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Destroya, which is kind of like this crustacean crab-like creature, is a prehistoric from the Precambrian era uh, that was probably in the Earth's crust that was you know, affected by the initial onslaught of said oxygen destroyer. It had the ability to take life away, but also kind of awaken life at the same time, which I find kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. You deprive something of oxygen, but then you know that you know brings life to something dormant. And that's at least set up with what we just talked about, right? Mm-hmm. We've talked about using this technology to keep growing crops. So we are, this isn't just out of the blue. They've mm-hmm. at least made an attempt. Okay, keep going. You're on a roll. So the 54 experiment has kind of, you know, awakened these pre-Cambrian crustaceans and kind of being fed life back to them. But, you know, because they are so embedded into the Earth's crust, it's not until this initial kind of like man-made created subway system. I think it's a subway. Yeah. Uh, that they're able to, or parking structure, they're able, to, uh, these things are kind of unearthed in the soil. So it's, I like how it starts out small. I mean, it starts in just a lab and a little test tube and like it gets out of that. And then it's through, uh, just throughout the movie, it starts evolving much kind of like alien a little bit, maybe on a larger scale, mm-hmm. but, mm-hmm. um, uh, the gestation period uh, process isn't entirely clear in this film. It, well, maybe we're just trying to say it kind of it's kind of feeding off of Earth's oxygen and kind of adapting to this type of atmosphere compared to where where it came from. But it starts growing and multiplying and kind of really getting out of control really quickly. The doctor, whose name we can't remember right now, that you're going to look up, yes. 
is explaining his purpose on this television show that's hosted by one of the main characters in this film, this uh, female reporter. Not the offspring of the adopted kid from the first film, but a, a female reporter that's going to have a definite footprint in this movie. Dr. Kensaku. Okay, so Dr. Kensaku decides to go back to a place where Godzilla was before the Oxygen Destroyer did him in. Now, the Oxygen Destroyer kills Godzilla in the water in 1954. So you have to let your imagination take care of how the effects of that might have impacted the soil in a place where Godzilla had a battle with man prior to being destroyed in the bottom of the ocean with the oxygen destroyer. Mm -hmm. So he takes some soil samples. What's this guy's name? I'm going to forget this a million times. So I just keep it pulled up. What's his name again? Kensaku. Okay. So Dr. Kensaku takes some soil samples from this subway place. There clearly is some construction going on there. They're building something. We think it's a subway. And they go through, I think, what's a kind of a cool geology experiment, mm-hmm. which is harnessing these soil samples in these Erlenmeyer flask-looking objects and kind of shaking them and searching for any kind of life that's in there. And lo and behold, and I think it's number six, I almost wish it had been number 33 just for purposes. I don't know, <laughs> oh, yeah. that would have been cool. In number six, they detect some organic biosignature. Okay, jump forward a little bit, and what we see on the side of that Erlenmeyer flask is a hole, so whatever is in there has escaped. Now, this is an interesting point for me. If that thing is in the soil, which I think you have stated very well, is from the Precambrian era and has lain dormant in a hibernative state, and then upon Godzilla's arrival or the overturning of this earth has Mm -hmm. brought it out of its hibernation, which is also consistent with the film franchise because that's Mm -hmm. how Godzilla came to be. Yeah. So I'm buying it. Like it's all set up. There's, there is an argument to be made that it's already laid out. If this thing can kill objects in the water, which we're about to get to in just a minute Mm -hmm. and also thrive on the earth, then you have a very hardy antagonist to Godzilla because you could make the case Mm -hmm. that even right now it's superior to Godzilla's abilities. And then I'm going to add one more to it because when we get the final version of Destroya, they call that his perfect form. He can fly too. Yeah. Oxygen destroyer like capabilities in the water, uh, immense growth potential Mm -hmm. on land and in the air can fly, which just automatically puts you in a superior position to the anterior Godzilla. Mm-hmm. If something's going to take down Godzilla, and again, you've seen all these, mm-hmm. maybe with the exception closely to King Ghidorah, I think this is his most competitive rival. I would say, I don't know if this is Godzilla blasphemy, I think it might be a little bit better than King Ghidorah because okay. Ghidorah doesn't have arms. That's a good point. It, only, it has three heads, so to speak, and can fly, but this thing has... Uh, mandibles it has tentacles it has like an orifice in its chest that kind of open up and that's a mouth uh it's got a tail uh the the flight i mean this thing's it's got an inner mouth like alien (laughs) this thing's not messing around it is and it's huge it's so gigantic like even in its big form compared to godzilla i mean it, it still towers over him so yeah you're right we've set him up with a pretty a pretty hardy opponent to kind of do battle with 
I don't know. And we probably could figure it out if we sat down and watched it and really grinded through the dialogue on the science to see exactly what that doctor is searching the soil samples for and how that thing gets from the soil samples to where we see its first aggressive nature, which is going to be the aquarium. Mm -hmm. So upon escape from that Erlenmeyer flask, this thing, and we don't even know what shape or what this thing looks like, Mm -hmm. reveals itself in all places an aquarium. And this is a pretty cool moment because this also is referencing back to what we saw in the first film, which is the effects of the oxygen destroyer on sea life. Mm -hmm. Destroying those fishies. (laughs) Yeah, like security, I guess, Mm -hmm. is walking through the aquarium and he happens upon a fish and he sees this fish essentially disintegrate before his eyes. And then as he looks around the rest of the tank, there are several other fish that have met the same fate. Mm -hmm. Ah, screams what's happening to the fish. Okay, so now we go to back to the lab with the same doctor to analyze what's happening and they pick up through some micron type telescopic abilities in the water they identify like a little like a crustacean yeah yeah from the pre-cretaceous area whatever did you say it was pre-cambrian pre-cambrian area it They're almost kind of it was almost kind of reminded me of that little kind of cr- trilobite that they found on his foot in the mm. first movie mm. so I mean, there's evidence. I didn't even snap on that. You're right. There's evidence of these things kind of being around. So what's happening, this thing's tiny, everybody. Mm -hmm. You can't even see it with your naked eye. It's just barely, looks like a bubble going through the water. As it passes by these fish, it destroys them instantaneously. So what's your best summation on how this thing is growing? Oxygen. Yeah. Earth's oxygen, surface oxygen. So here's why I'm going to say that. Mm Mm-hmm. There is a line later in the film when Destroya attacks Godzilla Jr. Oh, yeah. We haven't got to that yet. Godzilla Jr.'s coming, everybody. This movie has everything. <laughs> yeah. And Popeye, too. That's a joke. There's no Popeye. Popeye the Sailor Man? <laughs> Squid. Oh. <laughs> Just kidding. None of that's in there. They make a statement that Destroya is succubusing Godzilla Jr.'s oxygen to superpower itself so if that's the case that we're going to make later in the film why not allow him as this tiny trilobite crustacean to do the same thing to the unwitting fish in the aquarium that this thing has escaped to now if anybody wants to know how it got from the erlenmeyer flask to that aquarium i got nothing for you it crawled its way there no idea (laughs) yeah but somehow it did Mm -hmm. because i don't even know if the lab is where this where the doctor's lab is mm-hmm. where the aquarium is. If you're going to mess around with that, this is not the series for you. There is a lot of leaps of faith you need to take. It's Godzilla, everyone. It's this hulking monster that's irradiated. Yeah, Come on. 20 movies in. It's like he's. it's growing exponentially. It's like, honey, I blew up the kid. I mean, the kid gets bigger as that film goes on. I mean, it's kind of the same thing here. Do you buy that, though? Yeah. I take the energy from you, which allows me to grow. That's a common thing that happens with evil entities mm-hmm. as they suck you dry, mm-hmm. leave you a husk, and then take your energy or soul Very and move on. Exactly. Mm-hmm. He looks a little vampiric. He ha- His wings are kind of bat-like. Because yep. he looks like a straight-up devil at the, in his final oh, he form. Does. Like He looks so demonic. Uh, there's some great art. Uh uh, with with these with these two together but no yeah i agree and i kind of like this portion of the movie i mean it kind of turns into aliens for a little bit with yeah. this like swat team that goes into like the aquarium to investigate and they got like gatling guns and flamethrowers and all this and then like there's like multiple like i think at least four or five of them at this point and they can't even like 
put a dent in there until they like start blowing them up. I thought they looked xenomorphic like too, a little especially bit. with the mouth. The oh, I think mouth. I think about alien a lot just because of this kind of gestation process and mm-hmm. the the life cycle. But a kind of a cool thing. I mean, we never see it maybe because there was no money there, but like when these things are kind of assembled, so to speak, almost like a like a Megazord and like Power Rangers or something, mm-hmm. they like can make themselves bigger. Uh, maybe with more money, they could have kind of seen that these things like splicing together to like make like a gigantic form, so to speak. But that mostly happens off screen, but it starts showing up in a huge form. And it, even when it flies, it's just, I think just the, the sound force going through is just laying waste to like these buildings. So, okay, our villain is we've established he's a badass, and it's not to be trifled with. On top of that, Godzilla's melting down is going to destroy the planet. So, like, the stakes are pretty high in this film. Uh, let's see here. And then, as Matt stated, Godzilla Jr. is also in the fray. So, this film series is interesting because it's... Let me see if I can do this off the top of my head, Matt. It's the return of Godzilla, Godzilla versus Biollante, Godzilla versus Mothra, Godzilla versus King Ghidorah, Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla 2. Look at you. Godzilla versus Space Godzilla and Godzilla versus Destroyer. So it's seven films in this particular series. Well done. <laughs> High five. Cheers to that. Look at you rattle that off cold. There's now some... I want you to give me the turning point in Act Two for each of them. Go. There you go. Yeah, yeah, that'll be a little harder. Uh, but there's um some pretty you know continuity be damned in the original series and things carried over from time to time. But this series actually carried over a lot of characters, you know, one of them being these kind of clairvoyants that, mm-hmm. you know, are able to kind of, you know, talk to, not talk to Godzilla, that sounds stupid, but like kind of like they, they can like sense him and like where he's at when he's going to attack and things like that. Mm-hmm. And one of them, um, Miki, uh, has um, kind of bonded a little bit with this mini Godzilla, Godzilla Jr., who showed up in Mecha Godzilla 2, uh, space Godzilla, and now it's pretty decent size now in this one. So it was a it was a pre found egg, and it, that 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 speaks more to the argument too that like all of these creatures and that I I thought a lot about Batman when I was watching this here with you today because really? you know think of Batman. I mean Batman's this vigilante crime fighter, and it's weird that like right when he shows up and starts doing his good all these psychos start showing up out of the woodwork. Mm-hmm. Joker, Penguin, Riddler, free, like all these people start like, hey, now now there wasn't a guy fighting, but now it's time to show up. You know what I mean? Like mm. there wasn't enough freaks. Like we got to like occupy that entire space. That's always been something interesting. About, like if Batman wasn't there, those things wouldn't exist. And I feel the same about Godzilla. I mean, his presence alone showing up from this prehistoric uh, time, being woken up by man's weapons, it's the same with these other creatures, you know what I mean? They're all kind of coming out of the woodwork. And when they show up, I mean, this is one thing the American films have kind of gotten right. Godzilla shows up to put balance back into that um, as supreme king of the monsters, so to speak. You just stole the word I was looking for. Mm-hmm. If Godzilla is an aberration of nature mm-hmm. and nature wants to stay in balance, then it would make sense to create a natural competitor to protect its environment. Mm-hmm. So there you have that. And you're right, if Godzilla doesn't show up, well, obviously we don't have the franchise, mm-hmm. but that's that's not the point we're making here. These other ones aren't there, and maybe mankind is okay. No, yeah, maybe maybe they, maybe they are. I mean, maybe. Maybe, maybe these things lay dormant. I mean, you definitely don't have a destroyer in the, that circumstance because he's a he's birthed from oxygen destroyer. But it speaks more to Godzilla Junior. in that Godzilla's not procreating and having sex, and then <laughs> with another Godzilla, uh, they're just finding these. Uh, 
they found his egg. It was it was dormant. It was from the same prehistoric time. It was just it's just. Can you just imagine the size and seismic activity that these things would turn out would undoubtedly open up chasms and you know fissures all over the earth to unearth God knows what. Can you do me and our audience a favor? Mm-hmm. And that's in the first appearance of Godzilla Jr. And I don't mean the one that. Um, he's walking around as like the little tiny cutes one, but in oh, the previous, <laughs> yeah. Explain what that did for Godzilla and what you see the long-term impact. It has a huge, huge role in this film as we get to the end, but can you kind of lay out the legacy of what that sets up for Godzilla proper versus Godzilla junior? Yeah. So in the Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla too, I mm-hmm. mean, it's not his spawn, but because it is a like species and there are so few of, you know, there's only him, so to speak, he takes a, a motherly or fatherly role, whatever sex we determine what Godzilla is. Mm-hmm. I've always kind of seen him as kind of being a, a male, so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, kind of taking on that like surrogate protector role. He's like almost kind of like, uh, like a, a, a mama, a mama bird with like, protect her nest of eggs so to speak so that's kind of the role he takes in that one and you know it's in there to be a little cutesy but like the the psychic clairvoyant you know kind of forms a bond too i mean they help raise that thing and and get it out of its egg and it's walking around that's about the size of matt and me uh and it's cute there but like what happens when that thing you can't just keep that as a pet i mean it has to go be in its own environment so I think it represents an interesting thing, not only the the parental aspect with Godzilla as, you know, watcher and protector and, uh, you know, being a parental figure. And then we're creating uh, a new hierarchy or a new animal lineage of different creations now. You know what I mean? Does it humanize Godzilla for you a little bit? Uh, definitely. Yeah. I think that's, you know, as pompous and, you know, grandiose as he is with his with this theme giving him that uh, guardian aspect. And to him, that's probably the only thing he's going to protect. He'll lay waste to everything else. Yeah, it does humanize him quite a bit. I think that's important because even today when we were watching this, I thought like, yeah, Godzilla's a fucker. You know what I mean? Like, I don't like Godzilla. Mm -hmm. I know that he's the star of the franchise as a self-titled. Any movie that's got the character's title as the name of the film, Mm -hmm. we usually take that as a character study. It's pretty tough to do that with Godzilla, but they kind of have done that in a strange way anyhow through nuclear power of all things. Mm -hmm. But as Godzilla is just laying siege to whatever poor town he has shown up or whatever coastal area he's shown up in, in that film, it's hard to like him. Mm -hmm. The clairvoyance are important because that breaks down the communication piece that keeps the monster from being the Hulk or a werewolf, which is singular Mm -hmm. smash and mate and devour. Yeah. So that helps because they're, I think, making a very conscious effort to give some human-like trait to that animal so that we can find something in there to maybe root for him for. Yeah. Look, I, I want him to beat Destroy, and I want him to defeat Mothra or Ghidorah, whoever shows up. That's You want that. But one of the things that's the biggest takeaway from this cask for me is as much as this is this otherworldly outlandish principle about this huge lizard that's Mm -hmm. terrorizing a community, Japan 
especially 1954, maybe not so much in 95. That's more about money than it is working through some issues, but is definitely mm-hmm. working through some serious issues. And the reason that Godzilla is important is because you make that so outrageous that it creates a safety net of disbelief around what is entirely real in your world. Mm-hmm. As that evolves over a 40-year period from 54 to 95, 41 years, the only way you can take the stakes in the film and elevate them is by going bigger. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to see Godzilla take on something smaller. You have to go bigger and more lasers and more eruptions and more buildings. That's the only way you can go. Mm -hmm. Unless you do what I think you said and I was hoping you would get to with Godzilla Jr. And that's find some way to regress the wild, savage nature of that animal to something that we can all relate to, which is a parental role. Yeah. And you got to figure out a way to do that with no dialogue. It's only body movement. You know what I mean? And I think, yeah, I think Godzilla Jr. works really well for me in this film because it is also what Destroya mm-hmm. is made up out of. So we haven't really gotten to this yet, but... Destroya, when it is in its full-formed, perfect state, Mm -hmm. is that what you called it? Yeah. Is this huge, huge organism. But when it's not, it's in like 65 little xenomorphs that are running around that Mm -hmm. then all collect together to form a larger whole. Mm -hmm. In a sense, then, the smaller versions of Destroya, the xenomorphs or whatever we're calling the imperfect form, are its children. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's definitely a role in this film, especially when we get to the end. And you know what all that's doing? It's taking these crazy fire-breathing lasers, knock-down buildings, and making them entirely human. Yeah. And what we're getting in the meantime, which is what we kind of got in Godzilla versus Kong, and not nearly enough because that film was mostly pretty boring for Matt and myself, mm-hmm. is when the destruction hits, like, there's just, I don't know, like, what it is about the guys in the suits and these scale models that, you know, look like models. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I love it. I they just fall into these things and there's sparks and oh, fire and explosions and it's just like oh my god like that's the Godzilla I know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's just like just mass destruction but not in like a turn off like Zack Snyder way. Like it's just like of course these things are going to destroy. Look how big they are. And I think Tokyo's learned enough that like when they showed up they get the hell out of there now. Like just let them fight. We'll rebuild later um because the stakes right now are at a ever high level. And one thing that they've helped to do that, you know, because the military has been so unhelpful in all of these films is they've created what's called G-Force, which is almost like its own unit to handle Godzilla. And they've built these Super X uh, flying machines. Uh, they introduced that in The Return of Godzilla. I, I have too much information in my head regarding this franchise. Mm-hmm. But they have Super X-3 in this one. It's actually going to serve a purpose, which is it's armed with these cadmium missiles and this kind of like like these freezing uh, weapons. Because they can't use, like, real weapons on it. They'll blow him up and then blow up the planet. So they freeze him. And I love how they freeze him in the water there. And his face just kind of, like, freezes up. So it, But it's a, it's a, it's not a permanent fix. Because just the heat of the water, the heat of his internal temperature is going to melt that down until it's time to go again. So they can keep that at bay. But what they kind of come to a decision is, is destroy us an oxygen destroyer. Uh, let's use that. We got to get them to fight. And then have him beat Godzilla through, you know, his oxygen prowess. And then we can handle this uh, threat naturally and not the way we're, we're going about that. How are we going to do that? We're going to use Godzilla Jr. as bait. 
And poor Godzilla Jr., I mean, he, like, gets chomped on and thrown into buildings and actually does, he kind of, you know, holds his own ground. I mean, he's able to keep it at bay, and but then, you know, Destroyer assumes perfect form and then... Curtains. Oh, I like I, that scene. I looked over at you, and you, you're doing a, a fun little head nod when he's got uh, Godzilla Junior by the throat, pretty mm-hmm. much, and he's like an ant now compared to Destroyer size, and he's just got him by there, and he's flying him around, and then just like drops him on this like airport. It's it's brutal, absolutely brutal. It's just like child, like you know, killing the child right now. The part that was also really crazy about that, and this is what we spoke about a while ago, that third mouth that's inside mm-hmm. Destroyer's mouth, mm-hmm. the alien mouth comes out and it hits Godzilla Jr. somewhere in like the, the chest. chest area. Mm-hmm. And you think that's just the death blow because it's going for its heart, but what we come to realize is it's released some oxygen destroyer spores into Godzilla Jr., which then are somehow taking Godzilla's life, Godzilla Jr.'s life essence and transferring it back to Destroya. If that's not going to suck Godzilla Jr. dry, then that is a mortal wound that I don't care what animal you are. It's curtains. Mm-hmm. Like, you're eventually going to bleed out. You're lucky you didn't get your heart. It's over. Like, mm-hmm. And Godzilla, Godzilla Jr. is so outclassed. And... I don't think they're afraid to show it as such. You're right. He mm-hmm. gets a couple radiated breaths on Destroya and knocks off a couple arms and legs here and there. I think he's got about a million, so it doesn't matter. Well, but I think he could just grow them back, too. I think that's part of the problem. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he gives a pretty good fight, but, man, this poor little guy has no chance. And I like that in a very Animal Kingdom kind of way, mm-hmm. there isn't, it's a draw. There's no draws in the animal kingdom. It's yeah. like gazelle with a broken leg got something, chomped something, or it didn't. Something's going to win. Clear-cut winners and losers. Mm-hmm. And Godzilla Jr. is mostly going to be the loser, mm-hmm. you would think, by a long way. We'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. But the destroya flight bit with Godzilla Jr. in his talons by the throat, just looking for the proper place to drop him where it will hurt the most because he passes six buildings, Jesse. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised he didn't drop him on like a tower and use the spike of the tower to impale him, to yeah. be honest with you. Yeah. It's almost taunting. Mm-hmm. And it sends Godzilla into a brief period of mourning and then I think what's a frenzy and at that return from Godzilla, like, okay, you killed my son. It's on now, Destroya. That's when the temperature in Godzilla starts to take on yeah, that anger fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was even that other, but then like Godzilla's even still a little outmatched too. I mean, Destroyer yeah. takes its tail, wraps it around Godzilla's throat and drags him on the runway of an airport. Do you think Destroyer's a third bigger than Godzilla is? Yeah. I think so too. Yeah. And Godzilla has been bigger than just about everything he's fought the entire franchise. Yeah. Destroy is huge. A very, a very formidable opponent. Yeah, definitely. He's got like this horn right in the middle, this oxygen breath, thing he's got the the wings the tail and then this stomach thing and i like when they kind of get into close quarters fisticuffs <laughs> and you know he's uh destroyer slashes him with his horn and godzilla's oozing pus and whatever and then godzilla like opens destroy up and he's oozing green goo i mean that's what i'm here for i mean that that stuff look, looks great but it's a pretty good little battle i mean the, 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 like these heisei period films have like great you know monster fight sequences Legendary, I, take note. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, legendary. 
I asked you a question when the horn hits Godzilla's left shoulder because it, it cuts a pretty significant gash in his, his skin. Mm-hmm. And then it almost looks like it freezes. But I wonder if it's not supposed to look like if it's freezing, if it's supposed to take on the same look that the fish in the fish tank did, mm. which is the breakdown of oh, organic matter. Yeah, like cell tissue dying. Because what ends up happening is some moments later in the film when we get the bio scan, when the military gets involved in their special helicopter that's got the ice lasers to finish Godzilla off, is it takes his scan and you see that there are mortal wounds as identified on the bio scan of Godzilla, which I think are referencing back the oxygen destroyer piece that mm-hmm. Destroya is birthed from. Yeah. You told me before the film started that mm-hmm. Toyo Studio said this is going to be it for Godzilla. Yeah. yeah they, we don't do one anymore. So why yeah. don't you talk about that for a minute and then talk about the plans to hand it off to an American-based studio and where that went because I think <clears throat> this is a good story. Well, it was pretty interesting. I mean, these all these films in the Heisei period were all pretty popular and we're making some decent money, but you know, they yeah, were 20 in, obviously they're making money. Right? Yeah. They were pretty aware of, you know, fatigue and, you know, not wanting to overstay their welcome, but you know, owning, you know, they own stake in theaters there in Japan. Hmm. I mean, they have a lot of ways to, to make money, you know, Godzilla being a big one. So they, they fully went into this. They made an announcement. It was on the news. They're like, Godzilla's dying in this thing. And so get ready for that to kind of churn up, uh, you know, excitement and whatnot. And why is it called the Heisei era? Uh, that's like the period of like, you know, all those different eras are, you know, reminiscent of, you know, who's the emperor of the right. time in Japan. So I can't, I can't remember who the emperor is during this period, but it's evident of that particular period. So all yep. kind of art and culture, not just films, but they all kind of carry that moniker yeah. uh, in, in this period. But at the same time this is happening, they are already making negotiations with American film studios, TriStar, now that's Sony. Uh, to kind of hand it off to them. They actually wanted the American Hollywood system to take a stab at some Godzilla films, and they were working with various screenwriters and directors um, with the full plans that once we do destroy a, it's your guys' turn and do some stuff, and then we'll come back to it for like the 50th anniversary in 2005. So I think the plans, the Roland Emmerich, Matthew Broderick version, I think was already in like active development when this came out. So... Um, it was happening, but, you know, I thought this was pretty interesting just from a note standpoint that, you know, these, the films were, when they would release one, would, they would make a hundred, like in us dollars would make like a hundred plus million dollars, pretty decent profit, but like on a, oh, come on. I have this. Where is it? Really? So the Japanese import would still garner a hundred million dollars. No, the Japanese one itself, not when it's imported into the States. They wouldn't do overly great here. Um, okay. But over there, it was like a huge moneymaker for them. Yeah. Uh, the merchandise totals alone were making more than the films. I mean, mm-hmm. they would be like 200 to $300 million annually just off of Godzilla merch. So it's a pretty big property for them over there. I can tell you as a kid growing up to the merchandise piece, mm-hmm. I had a Godzilla action figure that had a slot in his back that you could put like the soldiers that he was fighting in like devour maybe it was in his chest and i used to have that guy show up and fight my star wars figures all the time there you go i'm sure you had a godzilla i had a arm action figure. i definitely had a few of course and yeah so yeah it's a huge merchandising piece it's a huge money maker for them but uh yeah they, they kind of wanted to see you know if other people could take a stab at one of the more interesting ones in the 80s was this wasn't their first four-way into kind of 
pawning off their licensing with uh, Steve Miner. He's the director of Friday the 13th Part 2 and 3 and Halloween H2O. Did a pitch for a, an American version called Godzilla King of the Monsters in 3D. And it was going to be kind of like a, a new iteration over here. And he was going to be more Tyrannosaurus-like in appearance. And they got pretty far in the development of that movie before it got killed at the end of the day. So it's one of those best movies you never kind of saw, so to speak. Mm-hmm. In 3D, too. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that was at the time of Jaws 3D and Amityville 3D. That could have, I don't know, made it terrible <laughs> at the end of the day. But I kind of like that they were you know, sticking to their guns. And I think the big crux of them in this film was we got to send him out on a high note, he's got to have a formidable opponent. And I'm glad they didn't go this route because they were going to use the ghost of the first Godzilla was going to inhabit, you know, the, this other creature. Mm. And it was going to be like the ghost of old Godzilla. And I was like, that sounds a little silly, but I like what they created here with destroyer. It's still birthed from, you know, the ghost, so to speak of the old Godzilla. And they, they made something extremely powerful. I think my big regret and, Legendary, take note, is Destroy is never, this is the only time we've ever seen him. He's never showed up in the next Japanese series, no American films. I mean, use this character again because Jesus. (laughs) I think it presents a formidable ground level foe as well. So let me, thank you for that story. Real quick, I, I, uh, I normally hate CGI, but can you imagine how like cool they could like make him look in like a computer render? Like they could like really do some cool stuff with him, I think the spider crab that can break himself down into as many different minions as he wants. Mm -hmm. That was one of the things that I thought was really cool about the fight. So after Godzilla has seen his son die or his offspring die or the Godzilla Jr. I I thought for, you know, guys in suits, I thought they emotionally handled that pretty appropriately. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, You know, the lamenting over the death of, of, of Godzilla Jr. And then it sends him, you're right, into like, into a rage. But like when he like bends down and tries to breathe, you know, radiated fumes into him to bring life back into him, there's not enough there to do it. Interesting. And so he gets up and is just like, yeah, you're right, pissed. So that's sending the temperature up and everything. So Godzilla's mad and he decides to take it out and destroy it. Of course he does. And he gets one over on him. He's got Destroya by the short and curlies, throwing him, beating him, breathing on him. He's, he's got him. And so what does Destroya do? He breaks himself down into about 75 smaller xenomorphs. And instead of fighting one big des- Destroya, I keep wanting to call him Desustroya. I've heard it pronounced so many different ways. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he fights about 60 that start climbing all over him. So, well, there's one on his legs, there's one on his back, there's one on his stomach, and these crab-like creatures are just enveloping him in mass, mm-hmm. total, like number, not mass, like N-mass, E-N-M-A-S-S-E, mm-hmm. like big number. And Godzilla goes down awash in a sea <laughs> of these xenomorph destroyers. Mm-hmm. They all have really sharp talons, and one ant probably can't hurt me. Yeah. But if my entire body is covered by ants, they're going to get me and suffocate me and sting me to death. And it's very similar to a horror film. Absolutely. When the, by myself, I'm bigger, but this horde of these things covers me, and down I go. Mm -hmm. And down Godzilla goes, and he's covered by these things. So that is a really nice little advantage that destroyer has mm-hmm. 
if you start beating up the big version of me, I'll split up into 75 smaller pieces. Just overwhelm you that and way. And good luck. Mm-hmm. And so what, you step on three or four and you destroy 10, there's only 65 more. That's now playing in a, a very familiar space with zombie horror. And eventually the, there's so many you run out of outs. Yeah, the numbers overwhelm you. I think that's cool. Yeah. Uh, we and, haven't seen that with one of these Godzilla villains. And the other thing, too, that's happened is we've seen a battle with one of the ground-level xenomorph destroyers taking on the girl that I talked about earlier that's the reporter and the Chinese or the well, Japanese. She's, she's the other Yamani daughter. Yeah, the other Yamani daughter. Yeah. That she's hiding in this car, and this thing's just kind of playing with her. And she is no match for this. And we've seen the military get their asses handed to them in the aquarium by four of these things. I guess what I'm just continuing to say here is this is a very formidable opponent. And the reason I bring it up is what you said is so perfect, Jesse. Mm -hmm. This monster, this villain should be reused again. Oh, yeah. And I don't know. And they've stated they have no idea where they're going with Godzilla, post-Godzilla Kong. They've been very clear about that. Yeah. (laughs) Which I'm really getting tired of Warner Brothers. Not figuring it out. (laughs) Destroying franchise after franchise. It's getting old. Yeah. I, I just, this is not this podcast. I don't want to do this, but how do you screw up in the same year DC and Godzilla? It's fair. It is. Yeah. It, and to the point, like, okay, the comic book world can be messy and there's lots of pieces. And these Titans, this is such a simple formula. It's exactly what you said. Mm-hmm. I want to see these two really cool looking things knock down a bunch of buildings. Don't get me to hollow earth and all this other bullshit. Mm-hmm. But as soon as they get their hands on it, because I don't know who is not making good decisions for the planning of franchises going forward at Warner Brothers. Yeah. Because I'm looking at your phone case right now. How about that, huh? Yeah, that's the mm-hmm. 19th. Talk, when they, the, the the classic heyday of Warner Brothers pictures. The white. Uh, that's us. Three dashes that make the W. That's Saul Bass. He designed that. No shit, yeah. really. Mm-hmm. How about that? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. That's cool. Anyway, a new phone case, though, for you. I saw your Scantron one last week, and now you got this one. I have a problem, Matt. You're addicted, man. Speaking of which, if I ever... Oh, let me finish this. So, <laughs> screw you, Warner Brothers. <laughs> Figure it out, man. Yeah. This Stop trying to make this more than what it should be. Yeah. All right, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I was like, when we get to make a movie one day, Matt, yeah. and it's by Warner Brothers... We're going to make a one-off because that's all it's going to be? Yeah, we'll make a one-off, but that's the logo we're going to use. Like, We're not going to use their modern logo. We're going to go vintage and use that thing. Are you worried a little bit? Because The Conjuring's coming here pretty soon through well, that as well. Well, that's the next big franchise. Oh we're we're going to find out about it. So hopefully that could be the saving grace. I mean, you can't mess up that one too. Saving so. grace, literally. I'll get on my knees and send one to the heavens above that send, they don't let this thing go the way of the dinosaurs. Send one to Valak the nun. <laughs> Valak, please <laughs> keep your franchise afloat. Excellent. Well, let's wrap up with the kind of the final scene. And I think this is maybe uh, probably the biggest miss of the film for me, just because the film, the film wraps up really quickly, Mm -hmm. but uh, destroy is kind of done in by like the military and they're like freezing weapons. I mean, this formidable opponents kind of done in rather quickly. You know what I mean? And I don't know if maybe we ran out of money while making this thing or that we just got to end, end the film already because it is about Godzilla dying. So to speak, it's not destroy movie. But that, that's kind of always kind of, you know, you know, been a little bit of a sticking point for me. I think he kind of goes out. I don't want to say Bane like in the Dark Knight no, Rises. Exactly. But that's what I thought, too. It's a little like that. It's kind of an unjust ending for a great villain. Yeah, the helicopters show up with their ice cannons and blast him to 
frozen nothingness. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't do him in. And when he falls, he like explodes, and I'm like, well, like okay, well, like that's a cheap way out. You're yeah. Right. So that, that they that didn't quite stick the landing with that one, but the Godzilla meltdown scene is pretty interesting because you know like they have to like do it at the right time and freeze him when he hits that critical mass that way he doesn't completely melt down and irradiate the planet so to speak and they do it and there's this nice choral music and you know he's melting his spines are melting his face starts you know fading away and he just eventually just turns into a husk and then his bones just eviscerate completely filling tokyo with radiation right. as well but i think it's a nice send off for this iteration of the character and you know they've done a good job setting up the this isn't the same godzilla from 54 i mean that was a different lizard and you know he was there's multiple of these things around we're just waking them up through our own devices so to speak so even though it is goodbye to this iteration the heisei version of godzilla who's been so scary looking and the return of Godzilla, he looks terrifying. Like if that's the Godzilla in my nightmares, yikes. Mm -hmm. So, but then we kind of wrap up with, you know, this oxygen dissipating and we're like, Oh, what's going on here? I mean, is he dead? Is he coming back? And this is pretty interesting. And you talk about, you know, handing the torch off to the next iteration Mm -hmm. and how we're going to do that. And I think, you know, a very fitting conclusion because as we go through the irradiated cloud mist of, what was Godzilla and what was Tokyo? Mm, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we go through it and we just kind of get this really cool. It's this might be my favorite shot in the entire franchise. This entire franchise is this like dark silhouette of a new Godzilla. So this is the junior mm-hmm. who's absorbed a mass amount of radiation now. So what Godzilla's like CPR'd into his mouth wasn't enough, but a full nuclear almost meltdown is enough to bring him back to Earth and grow him substantially Mm -hmm. but that shot of him silhouetted you know in shadow with that light behind him and you get like two good roars and then like we just fade into him like i love it it's 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 almost gives me goosebumps because it's it's the passing of the torch type of mantle so to speak right you just get a less a more stable version of godzilla in the Mm -hmm. radiated way right yeah can we talk about the radiated cpr scene for a minute yeah i struggled with this and i didn't know if it was just something in the the recording that we were watching or if it actually happened but it seemed like to me that godzilla jr's right arm was moving when godzilla dad godzilla showed up Mm -hmm. did you see that too yeah i think maybe he the the last visages of life so to speak okay so that's what i thought too like maybe Mm -hmm. he's not quite gone all the way to the other side Mm -hmm. and i thought that the CPR radiated breathing sequence, and you see it, like he takes Godzilla breathes into Godzilla Jr. And there's this red mist that kind of goes into him and you can see this acknowledgement from Godzilla Jr. that something's happened was maybe enough to keep him from completely dying before we were able to, now I have my spines and my battery absorbing scales Mm -hmm. that will be effective with Godzilla and this radiation that he emits. So I think it's almost a lifeline just to get him to the finish line so that I can pass the torch. Sure. And that's kind of literally what he does. If you breathe this like bright light in him, you kind of literally are passing the torch into his lungs. Mm -hmm. You know what's great about it too? Mm. He looks just like the old Godzilla, just healthier. Yeah. Yeah. Not melting down, so to speak. I don't know if it was last week or the week before you made a comment that really stuck with me. And you said, 
we can call it Godzilla, but it's not just one. There's a lot of them. Mm-hmm. So Godzilla, it's not a singular name. It's more of an acknowledgement of a race or a species. Yeah, I think that that's that's appropriate. I do too. Well, it has to be because they have to find a way to keep the franchise going. There's no way they're going to let this moneymaker die. Oh, no, no way. Uh, and yeah, you got to find interesting ways to kind of keep, again, like... They should kill James Bond in one of these movies just to like to kind of keep it fresh. You know what I mean? It doesn't mean you can't make more of them. You man, you just do do start again when he's young, so to speak. Right. It's so just, you fight the sun. See Creed two. Yeah. And yeah, Creed three. You find interesting ways to kind of prolong and keep the franchise going. But yeah, I think this is a pretty a pretty pretty decent end to the. We've seen him die twice now in two back to back weeks through oxygen destroyer and now through just nuclear meltdown. And yeah, I think I think that's kind of a fun finale. And I was glad we picked this one and uh, the one last week because they they do kind of complement each other really well. Characters showing up, mm-hmm. the use of the oxygen destroyer. So it's 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 really funny being that they're very adamant in these films about you know mankind creating these things, and we must heed warning to the things that we delve into. And then like through their own devices, not their fault that Godzilla melted down. They make another one, you know what I mean? Like, it, the cycle for them even doesn't end. And, you know, I think that's, you know, something that they have to deal with as well. So, that's Godzilla versus Destroya, 1995. Three years later, we would get Godzilla, Roland Emmerich's Godzilla. And, man, I know I know a, a terrible movie cast will rear its ugly head at some point in the future. So, we'll save that one for one of those, one of these days. Yeah, that's going to get into a big discussion about Roland Emmerich that we started to have this morning, and um, that's a big discussion. Yeah. I want to ask you one question before we get to closing questions in the nightcap for tonight. Okay. When Roland Emmerich screwed up Godzilla and it went back to Japanese production and they entered that third stage, Mm -hmm. what was the first film in that third stage? And give me a general breakdown, like quality-wise, what happens? So that's uh that's Godzilla two thousand, yeah. and I think it came out in ninety nine in Japan at least, and then two thousand here, and it's essentially yeah, it's, it's like another kind of solo Godzilla film. They kind of like each iteration kind of starts out with like him on his own and kind of doing battle with the military and 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 the city. So it was a return to form for them, but it was a film that I think they didn't want to make as soon as they had to. I mean, they wanted to kind of let it rest for a bit and they were extremely unhappy with uh with the Roland Emmerich one not only in like that's it's such a weird movie too because he's this almost irradiated iguana mm-hmm. but he doesn't like destroy buildings i mean he essentially runs and hides in new york and then you know is done away with a few you know f16 missiles i mean he's pretty weak but he's far from the atypical godzilla where this one shows up in a city and lays waste that one like runs in sometimes he's able to hide in New York city. Like, yeah, okay, give me a break. Yeah. There's a lot of, a lot. And then he births that Godzilla is able to birth asexually like reptiles. Yeah. And births its eggs in Madison square garden. There's that whole thing. I mean, they were doing, trying to do Jurassic park in that, in that film. And you can kind of see the influences mm-hmm. of a lot of, a lot of things there. And Matthew Broderick just like, isn't an action star. So that's like, he's very miscast in, in that movie. But there's a lot wrong with that. And part of the part, big problem is Roland Emmerich didn't understand. He didn't understand Godzilla lazy. So it was his co-writer, Dean Devlin that grew up with it and was like pretty young, like myself. And then it was like, tried to, he convinced Roland, let's do this as our next project. And he just, he didn't grow up with it. Like he didn't understand 
And he's like, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it on my own terms. And every term he had was just like a bad idea. So where are things that Japanese wise? The last that they did was, uh, I think it was 2016. It was called Shin Godzilla, and it was kind of like another reboot. So they're in like another era. I can't remember the name of it. Okay. And that one's pretty well. That one's that one's very talky, but the Godzilla scenes in that are amazing. But we haven't remet Mothra or Ghidorah. Or no, not yet. Yeah, it's yet. been well because the, they've been on tenure with the American students. Like I don't know. I want to look at the books because I, I I don't know what these things look like. So Wait, just, oh my God! So you, are you telling me that when Legendary started to make these films, they gained single possession of this? Please tell me that's not the case. I don't think it's single possession, but it, they're almost like you kind of like loan the property oh. to make them. But Toho, at the end of the day, retains ultimate rights, so to okay. speak. It's not like Sony Spider Man, where like mm-hmm. Sony's like borrow lock, each other's characters. To Sony, show. Sony's like lockjaw on it. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah, I think you can borrow them in, in your iterations of the movies, but like we still own them at the end of the day. So okay. I don't think it's as sticky as, as that situation is, but... Uh, I'm interested. I'm going to look in to see what's maybe coming for the Japanese versions of this. They they did three anime films on... net. I think they were straight to Netflix releases, uh, Godzilla, Planet of the Monsters. There was three versions of those, and I saw the, the first one. It was pretty good. Uh, I need to go back and, and watch the other two, but yeah, I think yeah the live-action form will still keep progressing over there speaking of animated and then we'll stop with this mm. have you ever seen the animated saturday cartoon godzilla oh with godzuki yeah <laughs> that's terrible it's pretty silly like yeah. again it talk about i love Hanna barbera uh but talk about you know again the american studios not really understanding like mm-hmm. how to do it yeah and that's kind of been three instances now that Roland Emmerich and now Legendary. And I think Legendary at least got the look right. And I think that was, you know, the Godzilla fandom. Like, that was the thing we were worried about because he looks like shit in the Emmerich one. Mm -hmm. At least nailed the look. Okay, they got that right a little bit. Again, I said he's a little too large. But story-wise, they're just so all over the place with everything. And Mutu and Monarch and Apex and bullshit and Hollow Earth. Yeah, like, they're so in the weeds with so many kind of stupid things like just get back to this just get like two things together and just blow some shit up and mm-hmm. like have kind of a crazy plot and i guess that's maybe where the charm is that these plots get nuts godzilla born this thing born from godzilla's plant a uh, uh, plant uh, godzilla cells get on these plant spores and create biolante i mean it's crazy but it's awesome or space godzilla i mean the these spores make it to space through a black hole i mean it's crazy but it's kind of fun i mean yeah be tongue-in-cheek with it there mm-hmm. be movies but you can still have fun a lot of B movies have made a lot of money. Absolutely, John Wick is a B movie. Yeah, yeah, it's, that harkens back to those uh, just like B movies of the seventies, like the mm-hmm. Death Wish. I mean, Death Wish right. is John Wick. So, yep. Yeah, I, they made John Wick today, and uh, Charles Bronson. It probably would have been him. You know what I mean? Yeah, it would have starred Charles Bronson as John Wick. Okay, excellent, Matt. A couple things for you. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite tasting note of Godzilla versus Destroya? Uh it's got to be. The clutching of Godzilla Jr. in Destroya's talons. That is, the scale on that was what really tripped me out. When we first get Godzilla Jr., I think he appears on that beach and we get him from a distant version. And he looks big because you're comparing him against like a hill and human. So he looks monstrous. When he shows up and you get to see how his size compares to Destroya and how he easily... Mm-hmm fits and destroy his talons and is carried off like a mouse in the talons of a hawk or an eagle or something. Mm-hmm. That was just like, fuck man, like destroy is 
really big. That's a very big monster. Yeah. So that was probably it for me. And then that whole, what is it, minute maybe? Mm-hmm. Carrying him around, looking for the proper place to drop him was was pretty harrowing. Yeah. Because you kind of feel a little bit sad for Godzilla Jr. just because there's the novelty of, like, youth <laughs> yeah. in this lizard. Sort of helpless, even though he's not entirely. Uh, slightly adolescent, yeah. There you go. What's yours? Oh, mine... I kind of like that bit with the the military, and it kind of gets a little aliensy with like the the smaller destroyers mm. because like, you know, Godzilla, you get these big monsters and they start fighting, and very few times you get like these kind of small moments of like with the human characters doing battle with nefarious things, and I kind of like that the villain starts out really small and then grows to what you're talking about there. So I think that scene's my favorite because it's just so rare in this franchise. Like you don't get that a lot. Mm-hmm. What's your Oh my god! Moment of Godzilla versus Destroya. Well, the part that tripped me out was when the street level smaller Destroya is chasing that reporter through the cars. Mm-hmm. And in a very phallic alien type manner, it's it opens its mouth and that toothy erection comes forward to get her. Mm-hmm. That really took me back. I didn't think they were going to go there, and I really didn't think Japan would go there with that. Sure. They have been pretty, in the in the Godzilla franchise, pretty remiss to choose anything that kind of played with the sexual nature of what this was. But look, I mean, they chose that woman for a reason and put her in white, and she's attractive and all those things. And then this very predatory animal. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it's very alien. It's very Jurassic Park. Like they're taken from a lot of different films, but it, it works pretty well in this one. It's it's just, damn, I didn't see that coming. And that's pretty loaded moment right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good choice. What's yours? Uh, I think I'm gonna have to go with just the meltdown scene. I mean, it's mm-hmm. you know, it's sticking to your guns to kill off the character, and I think they did it in a very poignant way for him to go out. I mean, it wasn't just like this, like bombad. Like they they had like a really mellow take on how, like how he was gonna melt down. I really I really like that. Who's the master distiller on Godzilla versus Destroya? I don't know the name of this person, but it's time finally to someone for someone to recognize costume design or monster design. Who so whatever role or credit that is, that's who I'm going to give it to. Godzilla works because the monsters that he fights look so awesome. Very awesome. I don't know who that is, and it looks like you're looking it up. And if you, even if you don't find it, that's okay. Whoever set design or monster costume design is, it goes to that person. Yeah. From we have three minutes until you faint in this costume to what we see as Destroya, kudos to you, big guy or big gal. Excellent. Good choice. Thanks. I think I'm just going to have to go with Toho Studios just all around. I mean, here they are. I think it might be 20 films in or damn near close to be this far into a franchise and to, you know, send it out on a high note. You have some missteps in loaning it to TriStar to kind of do their own, but they've made a lot of really solid films up until this point, starting out strong in the first entry and now this one, and it's going to continue on in their next iteration. There's some good ones in there as well. They just, I don't think they knew way back when, when they did this, that this thing was going to grow to, the popularity that it did, especially in Japan, but also stateside as well. Good choice. Mm-hmm. 
I'm going to ask you a question I've been meaning to ask you for a few weeks now, and this is the perfect time to do it. Real quick. And that's a studio, too, that was, like, you know, very into... They funded all of Kurosawa's films as well, so they have a good stake in Japanese cinema. Wow, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to them. Okay, to them. Good job, Toho Studios. If I was to rank in what I know about your film knowledge... Okay. ...franchises insofar as most important, I probably would say number one for you is The Lord of the Rings... Number two is probably Bond, and number three is probably Halloween. There may be some variants in there, but I would mm-hmm. say with Godzilla, and I didn't, like, I had no idea, Jesse, till we started this, how familiar with this franchise you were. Because mm-hmm. we have never, like, we've talked a lot of film. We've never talked about Godzilla really. Till yeah, this. we haven't gone down this path yet. Where is that in your franchise hierarchy? Oh, it's top five for sure. Is it ahead of Halloween? It probably it probably would be. I Am I correct that Lord of the Rings is one and Bond is two? I think Bond might be one. Lord of the Rings probably is like a close, close number one. I mean that's like and and when I say Lord of the Rings, I mean non hobbits, of course. <laughs> uh, that's a that's damn near as perfect as a trilogy can get. So uh, is this three? Yeah this this might be three. Wow. In terms of just that, how much I've been exposed to it, like how much I've rewatched a lot of these. I'm trying to think just to give you right now, like what would number five be? Five might be Star Wars, yeah. so to speak. The Marvel Universe is kind of making its way up there as well as, you know, they need to give me some solid entries here coming up. But Because four is Rocky. Oh, yeah. How can we forget Rocky? Yeah, Rocky's in there too. Man, that's, that, did you hear what you just rattled off? Mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Halloween. Rocky. Bond. Man, yeah. and Godzilla's in the same breath as it. That's pretty high praise, man. Yeah. Well, wait till we do Bond, Matt. That's going to be a wild ride because hopefully, yeah, the hopefully No Time to Die comes out here soon so we can do a Bond cask finally because that's that's when we can get really in the weeds with both production-wise and just like it's Godzilla and Bond are just, I feel just like linked at the hip because it's the same formula. I mean, it's like it's different actors, it's different eras, and the stories are all pretty beaded out the same way. It's just... How interesting are those villains? How interesting are those Bond girls? How interesting is mm-hmm. that plot? How interesting is your Bond actor is what separates them out. And the same as Godzilla. So how are you going to rate and grade Godzilla versus Destroya? We have Rocket, Well, Call, Single Barrel, and Top Shelf. It's Call Plus. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of the problem that's not a problem with this film, but the version that we had access to is the dialogue. Yeah. And so I think there's some science pieces in there that I know would be better if I was familiar with the natural dialect used in the film. Mm -hmm. But they have to go with it the way that we saw it. And I think there's a little bit of a fatality right there. But this was super enjoyable. The monster fights are are terrific. Godzilla versus Kong could go to school on these big time. Mm -hmm. As much as the Godzilla Jr. piece and his name seem kind of silly, it actually... For me, it worked in this film, and I'm mm-hmm. shocked about that because yeah. the introduction of cute, innocent little thing never plays for me, but it did in this. And I thought for the first time since the woman on the patio in Godzilla 54, and that might be the only... Eh, Sarazawa too. Man, never mind. That's not, this is, that's not an accurate statement. I thought the portrayals of the humans in this film mattered and that's tough to do because the monster is just so much bigger and powerful than most humans. So, yeah. They're very proactive in the, this era of films compared to Godzilla versus Kong where they're just assholes. Right. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, no, Jack of all trades. Yeah, good good choice. Yeah, I'm going to be call plus as well. Uh, this is just fun sci-fi. I mean, you get what you get, but like in these this iteration of the films, man, they're just so much fun. Like I said, the them fighting, it's like what you're there for. You almost just want to get up like and just like, this is almost like Saturday morning cartoons for us, so to yeah. speak. Like this is just like a fun thing to watch. And I'm glad we, man, we've had talk about just like, neapolitan ice cream with with this uh particular cast because mm-hmm. <laughs> the first one was just such a uh, godzilla vs kong was i think kind of a letdown for us delivered when we saw the stuff we wanted to but got so in the weeds with its own plot and just the worst characters imaginable yeah number two was or godzilla 54 was great film's a masterpiece mm-hmm. damn it's heavy and dark and kind of depressing and last week's episode was pretty a little depressing and this is kind of just the opposite of that. This is fun monster action. So I think we've got, you know, three different tastes going on in one cask, which is pretty cool because it's one franchise. Perfect Neapolitan blend. Yeah. Well said. So, yeah, call plus. Uh, I hope we come back. To, I mean, hopefully Legendary can figure it out. They turn out another Godzilla movie because we can dive back into this and talk about Mothra, Mothra's first appearance, that first King Kong versus Godzilla. I want to show you Godzilla versus Biollante mm-hmm. and just some of these other iterations because there's some fun stuff in there. I want to see him fight Jaguar. Oh, Jet Jaguar? Oh, and then Jet Jaguar has his own theme song? Oh, goodness. I'll have to play it for you after this episode. But let's wrap this up with our nightcap. Godzilla's meltdown theme. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty good. It's very, very, very nice compared to his march earlier. Yeah, I think they figured out the tone with this thing. Mm-hmm. All right, my nightcap to you, Matt, this week. Uh, Godzilla dying. He's a pop culture icon. This was a big deal when it came out in 95, especially overseas because they, the, they were the people that got to see the movie when it came out. Uh, what's another movie character death that has always kind of stuck with you? And if you have one or two, rattle off as many as you want. Okay, so I'll give you the first one that I can remember as a little guy. Okay. It was Bambi, man. Bambi's mom? Yeah, so when that happened in that, I remember my dad had to walk me out of the theater because I was such a mess. So that's my earliest one. Okay. So I have a couple more, but I did one, so I'm sure you have a couple too, so I'll let you go in with your first entry here. (laughs) I have a comedic one. Okay. And it's only because I've revisited this film as of late um, because I've always been really interested why this character made this decision at that given moment. This is just purely for the laughs, Matt. It's Granny Ruth from Dante's Peak, and this is the old grandmother who decides for whatever reason to jump out of the safe boat and into an acidic lake, thus charring and burning her legs, and then Pierce Brosnan has to carry her down the mountain until she's just like, this woman's dead. (laughs) I think that's just called natural selection. Yes. Some... Species are just too stupid to continue to thrive. You want to know another kind of one of just, this is just Jesse letting you know who he really is. Uh Oh, here we go. Uh, One of my other profound interests as a child, but also carries on today. So whenever there's an active one or anything, I always kind of just like pay attention because I'm always just fascinated by the science of it is volcanoes. Like I've always like really been into them, just like the inner machinations of how they work, the science so I've, I've always really liked Dante's Peak. That movie's kind of not great, but it's, it's, it's a fun film. So 
yeah, there's an active volcano in the world. Odds are I'm like kind of like keeping tabs on it. So cool. Interesting. Yeah. Number two, one that hit me really hard is John Wayne and the Cowboys. Mm. Um, you know, like a lot of kids grew up with some Westerns and my father and then kind of watching that with my dad. Now at this place in my life, I kind of recognize why that mattered so much, why I didn't understand it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a very noble death. And the way he goes down and what the boys do after he dies is so appropriate for that film. Uh, we've talked about that a few times. I think everybody should see The Cowboys. It's a really good film. I saw that in middle school in an English class. Yeah. Yeah. They it, did that instead of Shane, huh? Yeah. It's one of those two in every middle school English class. It's either Cowboys or Shane. Good so choice. You the Cowboys. Good choice. Thanks, man. What's yours number two? Uh, my number two... Maybe it's your number one, Matt, but we've talked about these next two we've talked about on the podcast before. Number two, Apollo Creed. If that's my number two, what's my number one? Because you might be right. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, yeah, it's just, it's always been a moment because they could have stopped this fight ahead of time. They didn't. And he dies in the ring, which would be just a sports fiasco if it was real life. But Creed in Rocky's arms there, man, that just breaks me. With the boss and the red, white, and yes, blue on yes, his. Yes, yes, Oh, it's, yeah, it's a mm-hmm. great shot. Uh, yeah, you know me pretty well because number one is. Mickey. You got it. Man, that's really well played by both of those guys. Mm-hmm. I've watched that. It's funny because we actually just watched that film this week in class, to be honest with you. Oh, we nice. just did Rocky Three. Nice. And I, for the life of me, cannot decode nary a syllable that Stallone utters when he's that slobbering oh, yeah. wet mess on Mickey. But man, that hits me hard. Uh, there's another one that I want to mention for a minute. Go ahead. It's just more funny than it is. Yeah, that's that's the big one. Good um, good choice. Mickey. Have you ever seen The Stepmom? Susan yes. Sarandon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's, it's in Julie Roberts, yep. I think. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I was watching that film one day. <laughs> but there's a conversation that's had in that that broke me on a level that rivaled about time oh wow because that would be certainly worth mentioning as well too. absolutely to the point i was just watching it by myself and i would never turn on the stepmom just to watch by yeah, myself yeah. but i happened to go there and i got kind of engrossed in it and susan sarandon is having some conversation with one of her kids and man i lost it really to the point wow. where my wife came around the corner and saw me and just like, what in the hell? It kind of like laughed because like you're the stepmom, Matt, like this. And it's kind of a bit of a running joke between the two of us. But yeah, man, that was one that kind of snuck up on me out of the blue. And that, there, that couch was wet when I finished watching that film. I was I was broken. That's man. great. I love that story. The stepmom. Uh, that reminds me, it's, there's an episode of Seinfeld where George is watching Home Alone and Jerry comes in and catches him at the end and George is weeping and he's like, you're crying from home alone? And he's like, the old man got to me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, yeah. That's a pretty emotional scene too. I'll be real with you. Yeah, it is. And the old man who's abandoned his family for years is suddenly reunited with them on a snowy Christmas morning. Ooh, yeah, get out of (laughs) here. You're right. Uh, All right, let's hear your number one uh, or whatever we're going to do The one that uh, would be number one and it hasn't happened yet and I'll need to go to the theater with like 
a therapist when this happens. <laughs> oh, is, and I heard he's not going to be in the next one, but Creed 3, yeah, if they ever decide to kill off the Rocky character, and I hope they don't because I feel like he's been through enough already. I read that too this week. He's not going to be in it. I think that's a good sign though. Yeah. Because this is kind of Creed's story at this point. And yeah. also, I don't want to go through that moment because I don't think I can emotionally handle Rocky passing. If all these other two were hard, imagine how hard that's going to be. If you take the celebratory breakdown that I had for Rocky Five on the mic mm-hmm. and then remove that person from my life, mm-hmm. you, yeah, therapist in tow, I'll pay for your ticket. I'm going to need it too. Yeah. I don't want to see that. Yeah, I don't want to. I so can't take it. That's an honorable... Very honorable mention. Clairvoyant uh, mention. Yep. My number one, it's easy, easily one of the most brutal scenes ever committed to film. And maybe because I saw it at too young of an age and every time I watch it, it's I almost want to fast forward, but it's so important to the genesis of the film. It's Peter Weller, Alex Murphy, and RoboCop. <laughs> I mean, it's you want to talk about an execution of a human being, Clarence Bodiger and his goons. And I think it's the one guy that like, he already has like 50 bullets in him. And the one guy like mocks him and goes, does it hurt? Does it hurt? And I'm like, oh, these guys are scum. And this guy's like, what more could he handle? But maybe that just makes it more poignant because RoboCop is very Christian in its thematic themes. I mean, his resurrection is RoboCop is, I mean, he's he's Christ. the Jesus of that movie. Right. He's a Jesus that comes back for revenge, man, because mm-hmm. he comes back and he gets all those guys in the best ways, toxic waste and data spikes and just eviscerating them. So yeah. I saw it on WGN, I think, when I was eight years old. And I want to say it was that scene wasn't like edited. I think it was like full force. So I saw it too young and it really it's it's burned in my retinas right now. That's good. I hadn't thought about that one. That is a good yeah, one. Yeah. It's that aren't you in agreement though? In order to buy into how mm-hmm. ridiculous a robot policeman is and the revenge aspect of that film, that scene has to be as awful as it possibly can be. Sure. And I'm not into like sitting through torturous scenes. Like, I mean, torture scenes in films are already hard to watch, but, and that one in particular, but I think it makes the rest of the movie like that much better. Oh, when he teases him and mocks him and does it hurt? Mm-hmm. You hate that person even more. Mm-hmm. This person's going to die and you've got to mock him on the way. Yeah, it's rough. Good choices, dude. Yeah, very good choices. Yeah, let's hope we don't get that Rocky, that Rocky one. That'll, we'll take the same therapist to the movie and he can, he or she can console us afterwards. <laughs> That, oh, yeah, I don't want, yeah, that's going to be bad. That, Excellent. Yeah. But this has been fun talking about Godzilla. I really appreciate us kind of going down this path and, you know, kind of just doing a 180. I mean, we had plans to talk about some Kong films, but I'm glad we abandoned that to just stay with Zilla for a bit. Plenty of Kong to hit another day. Yeah, of course. Yeah, they'll make another Kong movie, maybe. Maybe. Well, because that's not owned by Toho, so like that's a legendary thing or a universal thing. I don't even know. Mm. And you could write books about who owns what rights in Hollywood and who they've loaned to and this and that. And it's just that that'll give you a headache if you think about it too long. <laughs> yeah. But next week we're going to, you know, we got some new films in the, in the workings that are going to be released here. We hinted at the conjuring coming up later on uh, at the end of May, black widow coming and, and some things coming out, but we're going to stick with the, uh, we're going to do a director's cast. And Matt, I love when we do these director's casts, whether it's Friedkin, Hitchcock, uh, the other one we did we did it we did another one uh wilder no uh it wasn't a palma we did another director's cast i can't and we've done so many of these episodes but uh, I'll, I'll think of it here uh soon but we're gonna do another one this is a guy we've mentioned a lot and a little guy that we're fond of maybe more so in his early career and he's fallen off a bit in his last few films for us 
But the man's name is Paul Thomas Anderson, and we're actually going to hit one of your three must-talk-about films in the next hundred episodes. Films Boogie Nights, Matt. I cannot wait. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. It's like the ensemble cat. We get to talk about Mark Wahlberg and whether or not he's good in this movie because... I'm just kind of convinced that Mark Wahlberg's not a good actor. And I, maybe it's in this film that he's just supported by a lot of great talent. And like he's able to kind of fake it, so to speak. Mm. But we're going to talk about him, Burt Reynolds, everything. Dirt Diggler. John C. Uh, Riley. Uh, Dirt Diggler's uh, John Cheadle. member. <laughs> boy, oh boy. <laughs> Gets its own credit. It does. Uh, yeah, I, I'm excited. And I haven't, I haven't seen it in a, in a while. Alfred Molina, mm-hmm. that's maybe the best scene of the film, Matt. Uh, Thomas Jane. Yeah, Thomas just Jane. Just keep going. Yeah, just keep going. It's The cast is stacked. But yeah, the, it's, it's it's a movie about porn, and it, it's wild. It's so yeah. much fun. And we'll get to talk about Paul Thomas Anderson and him as a filmmaker. I'll, I'm going to do some deep diving on him and kind of how he got into it and what his influences were and kind of see what we see across across the films we're going to talk about. Changing gears, too, because I think the last six weeks have been pretty heavy sci-fi. Yeah. So we're going rot drama now. Yeah. Sex. Yeah, we're going to the San Fernando Valley. Indeed. <laughs> Cheers, Matt. Cheers, Jesse. Cheers. I got to get going. I got to go dig up some soil. I hope I don't see a crustacean in there because I don't want it to become destroyer. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing, too. It's time to go home and clean out the fish tank. Big time. Or spray for bugs, one or the other. Both. We'll see you all next week, everybody. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. For more Rye Smile content, go to patreon.com slash Films for exclusive bonus episodes, plus feature-length watch-along commentaries on your favorite movies and TV show recap episodes covering the best from the small screen. For Rice Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. Godzilla vs. Destroya is property of Toho and Toho Pictures, Inc., and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. <laughs>